In my 20 years as a priest doing a lot of youth work, a lot of youth ministry retreats, confirmation retreats, today's gospel passage, Matthew chapter 16, is one of the passages that is read again and again at retreats, at workshops, at conferences, where Jesus turns and says, who do you say that I am? The first question was addressed, who do other people say that I am? But now it's the individual question, who do you say that I am? And we ask the young people, who do you, who do you as an individual say that Jesus is? I'm not going to preach on that this morning. I'd like to delve deep into that question, though. So after Jesus asked the question, who do other people say that I am? They answer. They say, well, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still other Jeremiah, one of the prophets. It'd be interesting if Jesus then said this. Hmm, interesting. Some say that I'm John the Baptist. Who would John the Baptist say that I am? In fact, who did John the Baptist say that I am? I'd like to reflect on that today by going through the 14 stations of the Eucharist. This past summer, as we do every summer, we put on a religious exhibit. This year, our religious exhibit was on the 14 stations of the Eucharist. Some of you attended the exhibit at one of our three summer festivals. Some of you did not. So today, you're going to get a full exposition. So when we talk about the stations of the cross, which we clearly have on display here in all of our Catholic churches, if we think about what the stations of the cross are, just to help you understand that, so think of a train track. You're on a journey. You're going from point A to point B, and along that journey there are stations, there are train stations. That's what the stations of the cross are. On the journey of Jesus to Calvary, there are 14 stations that we pause and meditate upon. The 14 stations of the Eucharist are the exact same. So, Adam, please come forward. We're going to quickly review the 14 stations of the Eucharist, and I want us to reflect upon who do you say that Jesus is? And we're going to find out that the answer of John the Baptist needs to be all of our answers if we're going to understand the Bible correctly. Because John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus, clearly says, Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. The first station of the Eucharist in the Old Testament is the sacrifice of Abel. Now, we know that Adam and Eve had two sons. Abel and Abel's brother's name was Cain. Abel and Cain both offered sacrifices to God. Abel offered a lamb. What did Cain offer? Cain offered vegetables. God did not accept the sacrifice of Cain. And we often just automatically then go to the fact that Cain killed Abel and we forget about the sacrifices. But we have to go back to the fact of why did God accept the lamb but not the vegetables? Well, because the lamb prefigured, the lamb was a foreshadowing, the lamb was a typology of the one perfect sacrifice, the only sacrifice that will save the world, which is Jesus, the lamb of God. So he accepts the lamb. He doesn't accept the vegetables. Because the Lamb is the sacrifice that will save the world. The Lamb of God. We then have Melchizedek. Melchizedek is up in our altar up here on the far right underneath the statue of the Sacred Heart down below. Melchizedek is a mysterious character. Melchizedek appears in the Bible. 
The 12 tribes of Israel have not been established yet. Covenant worship has not been established yet. But he appears and he's a priest, but he's not from the tribe of Levi. For those of you who are part of the 650 people doing the Bible in a year, you now know that if you offer sacrifice to God and you're not from the tribe of Levi, bad things are most likely going to happen. So he's not a priest from the tribe of Levi, but the sacrifice that he offers is a sacrifice of bread and wine. Well, it turns out that Jesus is a priest, but he's not from the tribe of Levi either. But his sacrifice of his body and blood offered for your salvation and for mine is acceptable because the scriptures proclaim that he is a priest in the line of Melchizedek who offers a sacrifice of bread and wine. We then have the sacrifice of Abraham, which is in the altar here on the, on the left on the left of the, the Last Supper image. Now, when we look at the sacrifice of Abraham, which is mentioned in the Eucharistic prayer, as is the, the sacrifice of Melchizedek and Abel, the sacrifice of Abraham is, of course, making reference to the fact that God said, Abraham, go kill your son. And we often focus on that. And we forget the fact of the rest of the story, which is actually unbelievably important. Because you see, Abraham didn't kill his son. But Abraham still offered a sacrifice. What sacrifice did Abraham offer? He offered a lamb. And that lamb replaced his son. His son was supposed to die, and yet the lamb replaces the son. Why is this important? Because, my brothers and sisters, raise your hand if you're a sinner. Which means, who's supposed to die? You. Who becomes our replacement sacrifice? Jesus, who is the Lamb of God. And the Lamb of God in the story of Abraham, where does Abraham find that lamb? Caught in a thicket. Caught in a thorn bush. And who is Jesus, the Lamb of God? The Lamb of God who is caught in a thorn bush as thorns are literally on his head. He is the Lamb of God who is slain. We then move into the fourth station, which is the Jewish Passover. The Jews are enslaved. They're in Egypt. The only way that they get out of Egypt is through the death of a lamb. And then what they do with the lamb. To be set free from slavery, to be set into the promised land, what has to happen? They have to eat the flesh of the lamb, and they need to put the blood on their doorposts. The early church fathers pick up on this and say, we as Christians, if we want to inherit eternal life, we have to eat the flesh of the lamb and the blood of Jesus needs to be on our lips. And in fact, this is why Jesus then says in John chapter 6, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you do not have life within you. What happened to Jewish families that refused to eat the lamb and refused to put the blood on their doorposts? The angel of death came and killed them in the night. And I think we can all agree that there's an angel of death in America. There's an angel of death in our world right now. And that's why we must eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, which is a lamb. Then the Israelites are sent out into the desert, and they are there for 40 years. But God doesn't abandon them. God sends them food. What does he send them? Bread from heaven. Manna that comes down and feeds them on their journey. What does God give us? Bread from heaven to feed us on our journey. Then the Jewish people finally make their way to Jerusalem where they, King David and his son Solomon erect a temple. Let us never forget, my brothers and sisters, that the Jewish people 
This kid is running, and it is awesome. Okay, good. We're good. Okay. He knew where he was going. The Jewish people erected a temple because they had a place to go and visit God. The Jewish people had a place to go and visit God. The Jewish people clearly knew there was something different about sitting in their house and reciting the Psalms and singing songs of praise and going to Jerusalem to worship God. We can't sit in our homes, read our Bibles, and sing Christian songs and think that that is all that God desires. No, God desires to have a place to go and worship him. In the Old Testament, it was the temple. In the New Covenant, it's the tabernacle of God. And that's why there's always two angels on either side of our tabernacles, because in the Ark of the Covenant, the same was true then as well. God dwelt in our midst. The new Ark of the Covenant became Mary, Mary who conceives Jesus into her womb, and she now is the new Ark of the Covenant, carrying not stone tablets, but carrying God within her. She then gives birth to that son in not just any town, but she's actually forced to leave her home in Nazareth, and she's forced to go to another town and to give birth there. What is the name of that town? Bethlehem. If you translate the town of Bethlehem, what does it mean? House of bread. Oh, little town of Bethlehem. Right? The little Lord Jesus asleep on the hay. Jesus is laid in a feeding trough and laid on food. Because he was born to be the bread of life, and he was thus born in the house of bread. Which then brings us to the eighth station, and we're in the church of John the Baptist, and can I just say, like, love it. Look at him. Behold the Lamb of God. I just want you to think, like, if, just think like, think like John the Baptist for a second. You are Jesus' cousin. You all know what it's like to be cousins. You are Jesus' cousin. Jesus co comes walking by the River Jordan. You're John the Baptist. You're, you're like down in the river. And you see your cousin. And there's thousands of people there. Because it says all of Judea. All of Judea. We're there. Thousands of people. You're John the Baptist. And the Messiah, the Savior, the Lord, God is walking towards you. And he's your cousin. Think about what you could say. I mean, I, I'll be honest. I would want people to know that, like, we're bros. I'd be like, yo, there's my cousin. I'd be like, yo, there's my bro. There's my homie. I would want them to know that I know him and he knows me. But what does he say? He doesn't say any of that. And he doesn't say, oh, look, there's God. He doesn't say there's the Messiah. There's Emmanuel. There's the Christ. What does he say? Behold the Lamb of God. Making reference to what? Abel, Abraham, the Passover. And what did they have to do? That lamb had to die, that lamb had to suffer, and that lamb had to be eaten. There was no other way. John the Baptist could have said that Jesus was anything, but he said he's the Lamb of God. And every Jew knew exactly what that meant. So then Jesus begins his public ministry. What's the first thing that Jesus does? Oh, he turns water into wine. Why? To bless a, a wedding, yes, and to say that he ultimately wants to marry us, but why? Because if he can turn water into wine, he can turn wine into his blood. If he can turn water into wine, he can turn bread into his body. Then what does he do? He multiplies loaves and fishes. Why? Because he's saying, I want to feed the whole entire world. And how am I going to do it? I'm going to do it through my apostles, through my priests. Then... In the sixth chapter of John, he's in the synagogue in Capernaum. And what does Jesus then say to the Jewish people? 
The, what does the Lamb of God say to the Jewish people? Amen, amen, I say to you. My flesh is true food. My blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I'll raise them up on the last day. It's the fulfillment of every Old Testament prophecy. Every Old Testament sacrifice is right there because he's the Lamb of God. I am the bread of life. And then what happens? Well, then on the night that the Lamb of God is going to be offered as the sacrifice— to atone for my sins and yours as our replacement sacrifice, he, in that upper room, he takes his 12 priests and he says, this is my body given up for you. This is my blood poured out for you. Why? So that we would have access to the sacrifice of the lamb on Calvary every time we celebrate the holy sacrifice of the mass. Then he dies. He dies on the cross. He gives us his body and his blood. What is he saying on the cross? This is my body given up for you. This is my blood poured out for you. Three days later, the tomb is empty. On that Easter night, when the tomb is empty and the disciples are still confused, two of his disciples are walking to a town called Emmaus, and they are downcast, they are depressed, they are discouraged because the Messiah who they thought was going to save and redeem Israel had died, and now they think they've stolen his body. And Jesus appears to them, but he's disguised. They don't recognize him. And he begins to reveal scriptures to them. And then that night, in a room, he takes bread and he breaks it. And they recognize him in the breaking of the bread. But this is very key. They recognize him where? In the breaking of the bread. Did you know that at every single Mass, the Lamb of God is evoked six times? You already did it once during the Gloria. It'll happen three times at the breaking of the bread. Think about what the church is saying to us and asking us to chant Lamb of God when we break the bread. Because what happened in this room 2,000 years ago in the breaking of the bread? The Lamb of God is being made present. The Lamb of God of Abel, the Lamb of God of Abraham, the Lamb of God of the Passover, the Lamb of God of every temple sacrifice and every lamb that was slaughtered. Jesus, the Lamb of God, is recognized in the breaking of the bread because he is the Lamb of God who saves us, who's our replacement sacrifice. He is the Lamb of God whose flesh and blood we must eat. And thus we're chanting, Lamb of God, who takes away the... And we don't just sing it once, we sing it three times. And then what happens? The priest then immediately turns around holding in his hands the Lamb of God. And what does he say? He doesn't say, behold, Emmanuel. Behold, God. Behold, the Messiah. Behold, the Savior. What does he say? Behold, the Lamb of God. The fulfillment of Abel and Abraham and the Passover. Behold, the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are you called to the supper of the what is the Supper of the Lamb? The Supper of the Lamb is the book of Revelation. The Supper of the Lamb is the marriage of God and his people. It's the marriage of God and his people. When you come forward, you come forward and you as one human being take the flesh and blood of another human being into your body and you become one. That's called marriage. What do we believe that heaven is? Heaven is divinity and humanity becoming one. What is every Mass? It is the wedding feast of the Lamb. 
It's not the wedding feast of Emmanuel. It's not the wedding feast of the Messiah. It's the wedding feast of the Lamb. The Lamb of God prefigured. The Lamb of God who is slain. The Lamb of God who gives his life for you and for me. The 14th stage of the Eucharist revealed to us that there is a Lamb who loves us and wants to be one with us for all eternity. So let's go back to Peter. Jesus asks, who do you say that I am? Peter, of course, is the first one to say, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah. I want you, during your breakfast this morning, to tell your favorite Peter stories. Peter receives the keys of the kingdom. Peter walks on water. Peter denies Jesus three times. But let's never forget a very powerful story about St. Peter. After Jesus has risen from the dead, after Peter has denied Jesus three times, Peter went fishing. And they recognized the Lord on the the seashore. And after they disembarked and after they ate breakfast, Jesus looks at Peter and says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then he says to Peter, Peter, feed my lambs. And Jesus looks at Peter again. He says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, feed my sheep. And then asking a third time to undo the three denials of Peter, Jesus asks Peter a third time, Peter, do you love me? And, Jesus, and Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, feed my lambs. What has the church for 2,000 years been doing in the line of St. Peter? Through the Pope, the bishops, and the priests, what has the church been doing? Feeding the lambs and the sheep of the church, the Lamb of God. Feed my lambs, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. If you love me, feed my sheep and feed them with my very body, my very blood, my very soul, and my very divinity. Give them me, Peter. Don't give them yourself. Give them the food that does not perish. Give them the food that satisfies. Give them the food that is bread and wine turned into my body and blood for the salvation of the world. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Who do you say that Jesus is? Hopefully with John the Baptist, you can clearly say, he is the Lamb of God. He is the Lamb of God who has been slain for the salvation of the world. Let's pray for that grace today to understand the gift that is given to us in the Holy Eucharist, the gift of the Lamb who is slain for us, who loves us and wants us to be one with him now and forever in eternity. Amen.